Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there, his name Zacchaeus, the head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Zacchaeus just stood there, a little stunned. He stammered apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor, and, and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. Jesus said, today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Dear friends, this still is the word of God for us, the people of God, and we are still so thankful to God. As a thought for today, I offer, who left this mess? Let us pray. O oh, gracious and all-wise God, holy God, we give you thanks for this day. We thank you that so many chose to come to this Bethel place. Some, O oh God, did not count a robbery to get up and, and turn on their computers or look on their phones. And we believe, O oh God, that some will watch them delay. And we pray that we all, by the power of your Holy Spirit, might hear a word and your word might go deep within us. So, oh God, we ask that you send your spirit. Help me to preach and your people to hear. And then, Holy God, help us all go out and live the word. Not just be hearers, but doers. So that your name might be praised, your son glorified, and your kingdom advanced here on earth as it is in heaven. Be with us this day, almighty God. And we pray this prayer and every prayer in the sweet name of the living God, your son, Jesus that name which is marvelous to our ears. Amen, amen, and amen. You know, I think we, we, we want to blame people for the messes they make, the messes that they are and the messes that they get into, don't we? But I, I just don't believe that anyone starts their life thinking, planning, wanting to make a mess of their lives. No child says when you ask a little six-year-old what they want to be when they grow up, no child says, I want to be an addict. I want to drop out of school or I want to go to prison. Who wants to struggle in a dead-end job with insufficient funds for life? Who wants to experience abuse, financial failure, or be in a series of unloving and unsuccessful relationships that will shatter your spirit and make you think that you are unlovable? No one wants to or plans to make a mess, and yet we all do. And let's be clear, we're all a little messy, aren't we? We have all contributed to or been in messy situations, relationships, or even mindsets. None of us can stay clear of the mess 
no matter how hard we try. Maybe we want to blame others because we want to believe that they, that we can fix it. The, the messes that we make, and in turn, maybe we want to believe or think that we can fix ourselves. Just go to the bookstore and see how many self-help books there are. We think that we can fix ourselves by ourselves on our own terms and even in our own time. Often as a pastor, I hear, Pastor, as soon as I get myself right, I'll come to church. And I'm thinking, well, you ain't coming because... Odds are you're not going to get you right. The truth of our human condition is that we cannot fix the messes that we are or that we make. We try, but we cannot save ourselves from sin. Tom Berlin, the author of the book that we're utilizing in our, our midweek uh, Bible study for Lent, shares a description of sin. Sin is an action or attitude that is in conflict with God's desire for our lives. We commit sin so frequently that we come to realize that our problem is not one specific sin we regret, but that our lives are in a state of sin. It's not just what we do, it describes how we are. Oftentimes, we want to focus on the symptoms in our, our confirmation class. Shout out to all the guys in confirmation up there. Well, guys, say something back to me. Y'all, look, look up at They're right up there. You okay? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> all the boys. Well, in the class, I told them that, um, and I used, I think, Joel as an example. Right? I said, Joel has, Joel has some symptoms. He, he has a cough. He, he's sneezing. He's hacking all over the place. Something is going on. And if I just give him some cough medicine, have I cured him? So often we look at the symptoms of sin, the lying, the stealing, the cheating, as opposed to the cause. He's not going to get well until I address the cause. The issue is the disease, not the symptom. And the truth of how we are is that we lean away from God, right? We lean away from God and God's will for our lives. Yeah, yeah, I know what we say. We say that we want to know God's presence, right? And we come to church. We may sing in the choir. You know, we'll do a little something, something. But we also want to do whatever we desire, Whatever we have a mind to do, we still want to live our lives on our own terms. We want to have it both ways. In that confirmation class and within the Bible study last week, I wrote the word sin. Okay, now we can all spell sin. How do you spell it? People, talk to me. Now, I, it's not like I um, was here last year in the sanctuary by myself. Okay, there's some people here. Trust me, y'all. Y'all online out there, they are really, I'm not here by myself. They are really people out there. They're just, you know, the, the masks, I think. So how do you spell sin? You spell it S-I-N. We know how to spell sin, so I spell sin. Little S, little N, and a big I. Right, because that's what sin is. Sin is we are on the thrones of our own hearts. We're on the throne. And see, we can't have two seats, two, only one seat on the throne. Either it's going to be us or God. 
And because we are on the thrones of our hearts, it means that we refuse to die to self, to die to our will, our wants, and our ways. And consequently, then, we have made idols of ourselves and our wants and our wills. If, if we're on the thrones of our hearts, if it's about us, then we, our wants, are the idols. We are worshiping at our idols, our us. Tom Berlin has this funny place in his um, book where he's, he just brings in this about functional alcoholics. And you think, now, where did he get that? Why does he bring yeah, right? And some people are functional alcoholics. I had an uncle. He was a functional alcoholic. He was an alcoholic for years. Drank every day, but would get him to go to work. Forty-some-odd years at Columbia Office Supply was considered a great employee. Okay? But he drank himself into an early grave. But he was functional. He could function. And what Tom Berlin says is that some of us are functional idolaters. That's right. We function, you know, we can kind of keep it all together, but we are really idolaters. We are really worshiping at the altars of ourselves, our wants, what we want. Can't tell me what to do. Okay, I don't, you know. Every time I tell you, they're talking about money. Okay, well, Jesus talked about it over 77 times, so I figure it's an important conversation. Always trying to tell me what I need to do. I ain't trying to tell you nothing. It's in the book. I'm just telling you what's in the book. Okay. You know how we go. You know how we say. And maybe living this way will work for us for a while. That we can contain the mess. That we can keep our stuff on the down low, right? Maybe we can keep it all together until we can't. Until our inner desires, our inner truth, our real selves now show out, show up in the world. And lead us to where we would rather not be or to where we never thought we would do. Have you ever been there? I'm sure there are lots of people who looked at this stuff and said, now, how did I get here? We wonder how we got there into that particular situation. How did we end up in this place? How did we get into this mess? How did this become my life? Remember, nobody starts out by saying, I want to mess up. It's hard not to think about this when we consider the story of Zacchaeus. Don't you wonder how he ended up in that tree? Not that he climbed up in it, but how he ended up in that tree. Alienated from his community. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus is... It's not just in a text collected like Levi, right? Remember, Levi is sitting at the table when Jesus comes along. But he is a supervisor. He is a chief tax collector. He's a head honcho. He is rich, and he got rich by working the system. He got rich by ripping off his own people. Money mattered to Zacchaeus, so much so that he was willing to collaborate with the hated Roman Empire to get it. And as a result, he is not only a sinner, but a cheat, because that's how he got his money, by ripping people off. He's a scoundrel. He's a glutton, because he didn't want to take a little bit, because he's the chief tax collector. So he was ripping off the tax collectors who were ripping off the people. Right? He was skimming off the top of all which kind of way. And by, most, by Jewish standards, he was a traitor. How did he come to lean so far away from God? 
I don't know, did he grow up in abject poverty and, and somehow that experience really communicated? Because sometimes when you grow up without having so much, then so much becomes all you want. Did that shape his desire? Or did he inherit his passion to pursue wealth at all costs from his parents? Some messes are passed on to us. Adverse childhood experiences, I mean, things happen to you that you didn't plan on and it becomes part of you and part of the mess in you, then you make more mess out of the mess. Some messes we make on our own. Some messes we make on our own despite the best efforts of our parents and all those in our lives who loved us. And, and I will tell you, I hear it all the time, Reverend, I don't know what happened to that child. They grew up in the church. I brought them to church. I taught them right. I don't know what happened to them. I don't know why they're in the mess they're in. You can model the best behavior as a parent, as an aunt and uncle, as a teacher, as a member of a church, and they can still end up in a mess. Amen. So we don't know how Zacchaeus came to be in the mess that he's in, but something must have been going on with him and his mess in his life for him to climb up in that tree just to see Jesus. Something, something moved him. I mean, if, what happened to him? Yo, maybe his prosperity didn't give him peace. Maybe he was prosperous by the world's standards, but he was impoverished in his soul. Maybe he had cash, but no communion with God and no sense of community with others. But something moved him to climb up in that tree. I think Zacchaeus had given up on himself and his situation. He had kind of come to terms with it, okay? Sometimes, you, sometimes people just come to terms with their mess. Okay, I'm just a hot mess. My life's a mess. It's always going to be a mess. I might as well roll around in the mess. Your mess can do that to you, right? Our messes can cover us so deeply that we forget our creator. Our mess can truly mess us up. And by the way, if my mess is messing me up, some of my mess is going to mess with you. Okay? Your mess just doesn't stay with you. <laughs> but we always need to know that our creator never forgets about us or gives up on us. Our mess can make us think that we're all alone, that nobody cares about us, that no God doesn't see us no more. And maybe, maybe Zacchaeus thought just a glimpse of Jesus was good enough. Just a glimpse of Jesus was all he could hope for. All he deserved. You don't think he knew what he was? That he was a mess? Maybe he thought that the mess he had made of his life meant that he was too far gone. There are people in our community who think they are too far gone. Too far from God. Who think that it is too late for them. And maybe that's why he was just up in the tree. Good people didn't want to be around him because he was messy. So all he could 
expect was a glimpse of God's promise, God's anointed one, God's promise to Israel. But what he got was God's grace. Zacchaeus thought he was going to see Jesus, but the truth of the matter is that Jesus had come to see him. Thanks be to God that this was a divine appointment like Jesus and the woman at the well. And y'all know that's one of my favorite stories. And Jesus, and Jesus had need, that's what the text says, had need to go to Samaria to meet her at a hard time. Jesus is hanging out in a cemetery to meet the one they call Legion. A divine appointment. Jesus takes notice of him. Letting Zacchaeus know that he mattered. Zacchaeus, boy, get down from that tree. I'm coming to your house. I'm here. This is my day. And that's why the message says, this is my day to be with you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus doesn't respect boundaries. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' house. To be in relationship with Zacchaeus, to remind Zacchaeus of who he was and that he mattered to God. And, and that begins Zacchaeus' journey to restoration. I believe that for the first time in a long while, Zacchaeus was awakened to God's love for him because our mess can make us forget. In that moment, maybe he realized that in spite of the mess, God loved him. In spite of the mess, God never forgot about him. In spite of the mess, God was searching for him. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, calls it prevenient grace. And I talked about this with those boys, but I don't think they're going to jump up and say anything right now. And I know we don't use that term, prevenient grace. But this is the grace that goes before we even say yes to God. It is God always out there, the hound of heaven, searching for us, putting people into our lives to help us turn toward God, to remind us that God just loves some of us. There are people in our communities in our families, in our churches, who are so messed up that they have forgotten God's love for them. And remember, they're, func they're, they're functioning. They may act like they do. They may tell you, but really, they, they don't. They act like they don't. You see, our mess can mess us up can mess with our understanding and our memory of how valuable and beloved we are to God. We start to think that we can do something that God won't love us. Because there are people in our lives who will cut you, will cut you up and cut you loose. Well, I have given you three chances, and that's enough. I'm done with you. I'm tired of her. Have you ever said, I am tired of being with her. I am tired of helping her. I, Lord, I'm, I, I, I would tell you when it came to a particular uh, issue in my family, I even told the Lord, Lord, I'm tired of praying for them. Lord, it's been 10 years. And then I remember how long God waited and called me. So I, got, I told God, but I got back at it. 
we start to think, people can start to think that God does not care. That God doesn't see the mess that they are in. And that God is willing to leave them in the mess. Can you believe that people think that? But they do. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The great liar and deceiver. But it's just not so, y'all. It's not so. What does Romans say? That nothing, 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 nothing. And poor Paul, Jesus starts listing all kind of things. Amen. He didn't put mess. He just leaves a nothing. He just has to pull it all in to, to catch it all. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Not the mess you made or the mess you inherit can separate you and I from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God wants all of us, all of us who are messed up, all of us who have been messed with, all of us who have been messed over, all those who are just plain messy to experience new life. And I, th- I, I get it. I know, we think that it starts with us, th- this invitation to accept new life. There's something we have to do. Oh, come down the aisle and give the pastor your hand and guard your heart. Uh Uh-uh. That's not the Wesleyan way. That's not what it means to be Methodist. It starts with God. God takes the initiative. God does the work. God wants us to know. It begins with knowing and accepting the unconditional, uncompromising, unending love of God. That God has for all of us, no matter what. That's, that's it. That's it. God says yes to us before we ever say yes to God. God says, I love you first before we ever tell God I love you back. God says, I believe in you and I will die for you before we say we're going to give up anything for God. It starts with God. Thanks be to God. God says yes to us that we are loved, yes that we matter, yes that we belong. God's love doesn't wait for us to get right first. God's love doesn't wait for us to prove that we are worthy, to prove that we deserve it because we don't. So God just gives it anyway. That's what makes it grace. God's love is just a flat out gift for those who don't deserve it and who cannot earn it. Amen, indeed. Friends, I don't know what messes you have made in your life. But I know you made some. And get this, you might make some more. I don't know what mess you've helped to throw in over somebody else's life. But know that God is looking for you. God is searching for you. God's love will not and has not forgotten about you and will go to whatever places that you have climbed into, will go to whatever wells you are still dropping your buckets in, will go to the places, that the dead places that you hang out in. There is no place that God won't go over you. There's nothing that God will let separate you from God's great love for you. Amen?
Amen and amen.